Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 59. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. I'm impressed that you managed a happy hi, everybody, today. Believe me, that is going to be the emotional peak of the podcast in terms of joy, because it ain't getting any cheerier from that. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we have to talk about game two. And, I mean, the first thing we should say is that human emotions are tricky in that if the Leafs lost game one and won game two, that would be a very chipper high, everybody, and that would be the emotional low point of this podcast, right? And it'd be all up from there, and we'd be very happy and kind of thrilled about the situation that the Leafs are in. But, um, unfortunately, that is not the case. The Leafs lost game two and lost it pretty handily in a pretty disgusting game, both in the fact that they played well, or played poorly, sorry, and the Bruins played well, and in the fact that uh, our third-line center, who is key to our hopes of beating the Bruins, is going to be suspended for, like, the majority of the rest of the series. Yeah, other than that, it went great, though. So, you know, pretty good. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that was an unbelievably frustrating game last night on multiple levels. I... Generally, think that we actually tried to maintain some of our equanimity in this podcast, and I just want to warn everyone off the top: that's probably going to be beyond me today. I'm still pissed, so <laughs> that was frustrating. But I will try to be pissed in a way that is coherent and consonant with the facts. So the first thing I would say about that game last night is the Leafs got punched in the mouth, um, literally several times, but also metaphorically. The Bruins came out after being. Maybe not all the way to embarrassed, but pretty disappointed in game one. And they played the most stereotypically Bruins hockey that they have in them. And the Leafs weren't ready for it. Now, you can point to specific plays on the goals. The first two, Jake Muzzin did not have his finest stuff. But the flow of the play was such that something was going to go in. Yeah, well. the, the Bruins just completely jumped on the Leafs from the get-go and... Uh, I mean, it was to be expected. The Leafs played well in Game 1, but it was compounded by the Bruins not playing well. And similarly, you know, I don't think this level of domination is what we can expect going forward either. I, I think the Bruins played well and prevented the Leafs from playing well, right? So mm-hmm. I-, I don't think either team is as hopeless as the games that they lost make them appear or as dominant as the games that they won make them appear, right? As always, yeah. it's, it's it's something in the middle and i mean with uh with the bruins yesterday's game is their blueprint to winning the leafs generated nothing offensively absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing um the first two periods the leafs might have had one good chance yeah uh, honestly it didn't feel like there were any um I, i know that you know probably that wasn't quite true but it was staggering how little we were generating it's and it's this not, was the fear it's not far from being false like it, it, yeah. it, i'm looking at the um expected goals over time and through the first two periods at all situations the Leafs had 0.8 expected goals in game I mean, two that's gruesome it's no that, that's, that's absolutely terrible and that's exactly the type of game boston wants to play and i think the thing to note here boston didn't actually generate that much offense, mm-hmm. right? And that's the thing. Boston doesn't generate that offense. They can't generate crazy high-level offense. They can generate good offense and then completely stifle you, and that's what they did, right? Mm-hmm. So in um in in game one, um they actually they generated a, a somewhat similar amount, at least during the competitive portion of the game, mm-hmm. right? So through through two periods in game one. The, gener- uh, the Bruins generated 
1.5 expected goals, one point, close to 1.6. And yesterday, they generated through two periods 1.7. It's a pretty small difference. The difference is they completely stifled the Leafs. Yeah, the Leafs looked like they got, you know, rolled up in a carpet and tossed in the river. It was really, really frustrating. And it was the kind of period that I knew that they were going to have at some point. I remember when we were previewing this series, I said, there's going to be a period where the Bruins just absolutely shut down the Leafs. Uh, knowing that it was a distinct possibility did not make it any more pleasant to endure for two consecutive periods. And the other thing is that um, I think after game one, the, the pendulum swings so hard in terms of how people are feeling in Toronto. You know, going into the series, pretty much everyone was like, the Bruins are probably going to run a rough shot all over us. And after game one, people were like, can the Leafs sweep here? It's like, no, this is going to be a really hard-fought series. Uh, I don't blame you for being a little discouraged over how that first one went. Because, sorry, how that first period went. Because that was about as bad as it can get for Toronto. I don't think they're going to be that bad on a going-forward basis. But insofar as they are, they're going to lose very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to be clear, the Bruins' offense itself was also better in game two than game one. But their offense isn't really what's going to kind of destroy you, right? Like they, as I said, their offense can get to a level of being good, but it's not going to be elite. And the, the it's it's going to be within that uh, kind of below average to above average range for most of the series. And where the series is going to be won or lost is how well Toronto can uh, get to the front of the net. And they did mm -hmm. not do it at all. And it just seemed like no, no one was connecting on anything. Passes didn't work. It's like they were playing with pool noodles. It was... Um, yeah really upsetting and I, I wonder how much of it is like oh the, the physicality aspect and they weren't prepared for that I think Boston certainly tried to be physical in game one right I don't mm -hmm. think they were like oh okay well let's let them off the hook here maybe there's more energy in, in the second game but like I don't think their Leafs are like fatally unable to deal with the Bruins physicality yeah I think the Leafs I I mean we're obviously going to get to it because the Leafs got baited into a very dumb decision on the part of Nazem Kadri. But I do think that there was a little bit of, I don't know, maybe just some sort of macho desire to, you know, assert yourself. And I get that. It's frustrating when you're getting smacked around by the opposing team. And so I do wonder if some of the decision-making on the part of the Leafs was maybe not intimidated so much as, uh, trying to assert yourself because the Leafs were trying to be physical back a lot of the time, which is fine up to a point until you start being stupid about it. Um, I think the Leafs got sucked into Boston's game. I don't so much think that it's a huge thing in terms of uh, the Bruins necessarily dictating to the Leafs and the Leafs kind of cowering. It's just that when the Leafs play Boston's way, they're not as good at it as Boston is. Yeah, and similarly when Boston plays, the like when the Leafs can bait Boston into an open game. Mm -hmm. The Leafs are going to win that more often than not. And when it's a the opposite of an open game, when it's a closed game, when it's chances are super limited and it's just stifled, that's where the Bruins can really um, capitalize on turnovers and emphasize their board superiority. And they did that. They did a good job of that. I mean, the, again, the Bruins are a good team. So mm -hmm. it's not surprising that they would win a game. And it's not surprising that the Leafs looked bad in, in losing. Um, I don't think the Bruins looked as bad in losing game one, but again, that was also a, a clear kind of comprehensive victory for the Leafs. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that either side has figured out the other 
in some, you know, in some complete way that is going to make the rest of the series a moot point. And I mean, maybe I look stupid and the Leafs, you know, go down in five games, which would be really shitty. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't think that'll happen. I think this will still be close. And to some extent, you kind of have to write that game off as saying, okay, you know what? The Bruins did a good job. They baited the Leafs into the game they wanted to play, aided by the refs not managing the game at all. And yeah. you take your lumps and you move on. You you get a split. And all things considered, that probably helps you relative to where you were at the start of the series. But we do have to talk about the refing a bit because it led to not only the cadre thing, but it, it was kind of central to how the game was played. It was just... It was completely unmanaged by the referees in every way. Yeah. And I think we very, very rarely talk about refereeing decisions here. I hate doing this because you sound like you're paranoid. Yeah. And ev- look, but. every fan base thinks that they're aggrieved by the referees. I don't think there is some grand Leafs conspiracy against, you know, our team. But I do think the refs, just based on the facts of the game, didn't manage it well. There's a lot of e- easy ticky-tack calls or not ticky-tack, but like ticky-tack infractions that were infractions early in the game mm-hmm. on both sides, but predominantly on the Bruins, if, but that's my bias, um, that if you call them, this game doesn't get out of hand. If you call DeBrusque for two minutes for kneeing, Kadri probably doesn't go apeshit. Yeah, I would think so. And you know what? Like Again, it's not like we're saying, oh, uh, the refs are in the pocket of the Boston Bruins. That's batshit. I don't think yeah. that that's any kind of real thing. However, I think the refs had a conception of about how many penalties are supposed to be in a playoff game, of the idea that it's not supposed to be about them, that they're not supposed to dictate uh, the flow of the play because they're just supposed to call a very light game. I don't think that they wanted a penalty parade. I think they came in with that conception and they said, we're going to have a light touch tonight. And this is what resulted from it. It doesn't mean that Kadri wasn't being stupid. He was. But it means that it was a really hell of a frustrating thing. And I'm sorry, that Jake DeBrusque knee was bullshit. You know, like, the failure of a response there was really frustrating. That was It was such a blatant penalty. Like, I don't think it deserves suspension or anything. But, yeah, that's, a, that's an obvious penalty. Yeah, and, you know, I'm sorry, from Nazem Kadri's perspective... On an emotional level, I get, hey, these guys are friggin' hunting me, which they were all game long. Kadri's style and his history and all that stuff means that that's kind of what happens with him. And he's generally better prepared for it than that. Um, I don't blame him for being kind of pissed and thinking, I got to set some sort of a tone there. I don't think, you know, don't go and cross-check him in the head. And this is the problem is we're never going to get to a point where it makes sense for him to do what he did. Yeah. But... I have to admit, and I'll own the Homer goggles on this one, I'm a lot closer to understanding that emotionally than a lot of other things that I've seen get suspended on the part of Leafs. And maybe it's just because I'm still so pissed, but I think that was a hideously refereed game. And while this wasn't the central intention, it redounded to the benefit of the Boston Bruins. And I'm fucking pissed about that. So there's my rant. Yeah, and I guess going forward, I hope that they manage the game in a in a better way like call infractions and i'm not saying like the refs by i'm not by manage the game better i don't mean give the least more power plays although that would also be appreciated um <laughs> to I, be clear i'll take yeah, it yeah i'm not picky but actually call infractions actually let the players know that hey there is a line and what happens when the players can't find that line 
or that line is inconsistently applied, is that they try and do things and push the envelope even further to see what they can get away with. And that's how you end up with people getting hurt on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's all we really need to say about the refs. We just hope it's better going forward. We can't control it. Um, regardless of the refs, the Leafs should have played better. The refs didn't force them to bobble all these passes. The refs didn't force them to uh, ice the puck. Nikita Zaitsev had like one of the worst icings I've seen in my life. Um, I feel like I said that every single game, but like he had, I forget who it was. He had a forward, like literally 15 feet away for an easy pass. And he's, he skates it, uh, up the ice. I don't actually, it might not have been icing, but he skates it up the ice and just like hammers it into the, into the Bruins zone and nothing happens. It's it's just frustrating. Anyways, we do need to talk about how stupid Kadri's move was because it is stupid. It was a dirty play. And I've seen some Leafs fans be like, oh, it wasn't that dirty. It was, you know, it's a light cross check. You can't cross check a guy to the face. You can't. It, it's a dirty play from a guy who has a history of do it, of playing kind of dirty. And, yeah, there's absolutely no place for that in the game. Absolutely none. It's stupid and brainless, and he's hurt mm-hmm. his team tremendously in making that move. Yeah, and this is the second year in a row now. He's a grown man. You know, Nazem Kadri is 29 years old. I love the guy. He's a heart and soul player. He's... The, you know, the classic example of the guy who you hate until he's on your team and then you love him. I love him. And, you know, he's really evolved as a player in the time that I've been able to watch him. Um, from how he started with the Leafs to the level that he's gotten to now. He's still a huge part of our uh, supposed center depth, which is now a little bit out the window. But you can't do this shit, man. And I totally get, as I was saying, where he was coming from, being pissed in a game that was being called badly. In a game where it felt like there was kind of open season on him. And yet, at the same time, you just can't do that shit. And you know, Naz, you're not a kid anymore. Uh, You're not uh, new to the league. You know how the Boston Bruins are. You know how you have to play to be effective. And it's up to the line. But it's not that far over it. Um, Justin Bourne, actually, he had an article that just came out this morning, and he talks about the Kadri thing from jump. And I think, um, given his background as a player, he is you know kind of well-positioned mm-hmm. to understand where Kadri's coming from and make an educated view on it. And I'll actually just read verbatim here. The article is really good. Obviously, you can find it at The Athletic. But he says, uh, with Kadri, there's no excuse to be found. There was no, it all happened so fast, no deflected slash or cross-check, no other players involved to model what happened. It was just a clean cross-check to the head. Maybe not the hardest one or whatever, but that's really quibbling about the minute details of a dumb play. That he received five in a game, which essentially turfed the Leafs' chances in game two, is about the only reason he may have a chance to play again in round one. And, yeah, yeah, it's really stupid. DeBrus could have been seriously hurt on that play. You can't mm-hmm. do that. You, you just can't. I, yes, I get being frustrated. You have to be an adult. And it's like, like I said, and it's very easy to say from my position sitting on my couch, I don't have the adrenaline, I don't have the red mist descending in front of me. But look, you're going home 1-1. It's now a best of five where you have three home games and they have two. Take your lump. You lost. It happens. Better yet. They weren't even all the way out of the game. Yeah, Bourne made this point. For all they deserved to be out of the game, they played really badly for two periods. They were down two goals with like nine minutes left. That's not probable. You're not going to bet on them. But they've got a shot. They're able to score in that time span. Uh, You know, I I think if you want to find a slight silver, silver lining here, it's that as badly as the Leafs played, they were a lot more in it 
or at least closer to being in it than they probably should have been. Like, it took a absolutely brain-dead William Nylander basically own goal yeah. to kind of put the game out of reach. And that's probably not going to happen most nights. Or if it is, then we're just in hell and we have to accept that. But just the short-sightedness and the emotionality and, like, the thing about the cross-check to DeBrusque is you can say, well, compare the likelihood that that causes a serious injury to other plays versus neon knees, all that sort of stuff. I get it. Um, one, yeah, it could have hurt DeBrusque really bad. And two, it's the intentionality of it. It's the brazenness of I'm just going to go and hit this guy in the face. There's no, there's no pretense it. of any sort of yeah, hockey play there Yeah, it's not in all. the course of a play. And it's like, what do you expect them to do? You know, I get it. Uh, mostly I'm thinking, yeah, slug that motherfucker. Law of the jungle out here, apparently. But you have to be better than that. Naz has to be better than that. And as much as the adrenaline is pumping and this is kind of what he's done, most players do not rack up the suspension record that he is. And I'm sorry to say his suspension record in really critical series for his team is getting kind of pronounced now. And it's well-deserved. Like, the the hit yeah. against Tommy Wingles last year, that was a terrible hit. Yeah. And again, I guess it, it was understandable, because I think immediately preceding that, Marner took a questionable hit. But you don't, like, you have to have better control of yourself. There's 20 other guys on the team who saw that hit, too. Mm-hmm. They didn't go... And he views that, like, this is his role, and he views himself as, like, the defender. You know, he thought he was avenging a Marlowe hit. Yeah. Immediately prior to Which the... Which is a perfectly meh, clean hit. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, man, but we can't do this. There are going to be 50 body checks against us every single game. You can't take any one of them as a pretext to, now I'm going to rearrange this guy's dental work. And like, it just does not work like If you're Freddie Gauthier, sure, yeah, go, do that if you want, because I, I don't care if Freddie Gauthier gets suspended. Yeah. If you're um, if you're Nazem Kadri, yeah. like, even from a selfish perspective of, like, even failing to consider just the player safety aspect of it, which should be pretty central to everyone's mind here, but mm. even just forgetting that, you're Nazem Kadri. You are the key. You're one of the main reasons we have the best forward depth in the league. He had the goal. Like, he was he was almost the only forward last night who, up to that point, could have felt pretty good about his game, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, like, it, and his, then, his line was uh, the only one that actually, like, managed to not get outshot ridiculously. Yeah, like he was, you know, putting in a good Nazem Kadri game. But this is the thing. At some point, you are saying, I'm going to take the good with the bad with this guy. And we all kind of embrace that. But we're paying the piper for it now. Um, this is the price, apparently, of Nazem Kadri on your team. And I really did not think he was going to do this again in a playoff series. Just because I thought it would be clear to him that it's more important to stay on the ice. It, so. it Yeah, just... An awful, yeah, my cat awful is play. absolutely wailing. By the way, sorry about that, everyone. But he feels my pain. Yeah, it's, very, it's like um, I learned, learned this term in grade eleven. Is this pathetic fallacy? I think pathetic fallacy is nature. But cats are nature. Animals. Yeah, I guess arguably. All right. So uh, the cat is in an emotional resonance with me. I feel you, smoke. It was a frustrating game. Anyway, but uh, yeah, just really. Hard to see from a player that I think we both like, warts and all, that I think we both agree is essential. Um, and it's damaging, you know, in terms of the Leafs' chances in this series. Coming out of that game as ugly as they lost it, they'd stolen home ice advantage away. You know, you're still looking at it thinking, this could have gone a lot worse. You go in as the road team and you come out with a split. That's pretty good in the macro sense. Um, the cloud over it is now 
We're going to have to play Patrick Marlowe or William Nylander at center. Um, I don't think either of them right now has a ton of confidence. We know how I feel about Nylander, but uh, actually, should we get into that now? Yeah, or? let's do it. All right. So the thing about William Nylander is last night he had an absolutely gross near own goal on the third goal against. He was coming around the net. He bobbled it, making a little shuffle deke that I don't even know what was going on there. And he coughed it right up, and it was a tap-in for the Bruins that Frederick Anderson had absolutely no hope about. It was entirely his fault. There's nothing really else to say about it other than it's unfortunate. And, you know, lots of players make similar bobbles that don't end up at the back of the net. But he made one in the most dangerous spot on the ice, and we ate it. And that sucked. Um, It's kind of tough to make balanced criticisms of Nylander in this way because... There is such a dedication in some quarters to seemingly seeing the worst about him uh, at any given time. I mean, there was a comment the other night from Kelly Rudy. He said, you know, I know he's a good player, but he's just awful. I wouldn't want him on my team. This was last night, to be clear. Um, I don't know. He's a good player. The good outweighs the bad. That said, uh, you want more from him than we've gotten this series. Um in terms of, well, I say this series, what I'm really saying is last night. He had a good goal in the first game. He had his good moments, notwithstanding he took an unfortunate penalty. But it's like... Even yesterday, I he was want... on the ice for the only leaf. He got a secondary assist on the on the Kadri goal. And yeah. my memory might be fuzzy, but he was... Um, he, he It was actually... like I think it was just a pass to the point, but he actually like did some board work. and like It, it was a decent offensive sequence from him. Yeah, and you know, there's been more of that. And it is frustrating because some of the criticism of him is so unfair. Like, it seems to just disregard the good things that he does because, you know, he is uh, competing harder in board battles that we've seen, you know, we've seen this year. He is capable of producing offense. <laughs> I, I, I um, just saw this now. He, he led the Leafs in Corsi percentage last night. Of course he did. So this is the thing is there are still good things to be had. To, to be clear, uh, that doesn't, A, that doesn't absolve yeah. him of that gross goal against and B, like, the Leafs didn't generate anything until the third period where, yeah. at, you know, you're down three, nothing at that point. So I, you know, I don't look too much into that, but it's just a funny, ironic note. It's very William yeah. Nylander. Yeah, I know. And it's like, you know, as much as he sometimes isn't uh, perfect, isn't the perfectly rounded player we'd like him to be. And as much as the shooting percentage sometimes lets us down, you know, he's a very good player. And I'd love to be able to talk about him in the context of, okay, he's a good player. But he has to learn to be a little bit more careful there. And here's, you know, the balance take on it. Instead of people just screaming, he held out and now he comes back. And this terrible blonde pretty boy is going to submarine the whole team. And I don't want him with 100 yards of this franchise. Well, you know, warts and all, I really want him now because we probably need him to be our third line center. Because Nazem Kadri is freaking, ugh. Well, missing at a key time. So, you know, I do think that it's fair to say... That was just an awful play. It was a memorably terrible play. He has to answer for it, and that's it. Uh, I just kind of wish that we could do that in the context where we talked about the player in a little bit more of a balanced fashion than we sometimes see online. Like, people really seem to, frankly, hate him right now. Like, they're frustrated with him, I guess, as an avatar for the team's struggles. And I just don't think that that's quite fair, even if you're disappointed with him. So, And, yeah. I mean... I'm also not willing to pin the game on him as a whole, where 
I don't think any Leaf besides Freddie can really be happy about last night, about their own performance. It was remarkable how bad almost everyone looked to me. The Tavares line got out, like, completely dominated by Joachim Nordstrom and Noel Achari. Yeah. Like, come on. What? (laughs) So, the the thing is, one of the points of emphasis from game one is like, okay, well, if the Tavares can go, the Tavares line can go even or better with Bergeron, what, what does Boston do? Because no other line can contain them, clearly. Well, mm. evidently not. Apparently, Joachim Nordstrom was the Tavares stopper. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, like... For Tavares and Marner, <laughs> mm-hmm. you have to be better than that. You you can't get shut down by Boston's fourth line. I'm so baffled that that happened that I'm still a little bit in shock. Now, that said, uh, there were a lot of people talking about the absence of Sean Corrali, who is a fourth-line center for the Bruins. He's had 21 points this year, and that was his career high. He's not an offensive dynamo. Um but a lot of people were saying he would probably be used in matchup roles. And I'm like, it seems insane to me to use your fourth line in a matchup role. However, uh, Cassidy just did it and it appears to have worked. And so <laughs> I don't really know what to make of that. I'm sure John Tavares is not going to get like stuffed into a box by Noel Chari and whoever. I think, I don't know. Every time I see Noel Achari's name, it makes me think of like a Harry Potter spell. So that shows you, like, the level of knowledge that I have of him in his game. Yeah, and, li- like, to be clear, I, I don't believe—this is one of the things that I think would not repeat, you know, through the rest of the series. And if it does repeat, well, hats off to the Bruins, because, like, we can't fucking win if John Tavares is getting outshot by Noel Achari. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a dagger to the heart if that happens, if your $11 million center just gets absolutely eaten alive by minimum guys. Right, so, um, so like, so. That, that line needs to be better. Um, and this ties into something else you want to talk about. Austin Matthews needs to be better. Yeah, I, okay. So talking about keeping perspective and proportion on your frustrations, the emotional degree to which I'm currently frustrated with Austin Matthews is I'm aware way too much. I realize that it's not totally fair. I don't think he has been like unequivocally awful for at least the first game. You know, he had his moments. But for a guy who is supposed to be the guy who was supposed to be an absolutely game-breaking center there was not like a whisper of that to me and if we're going to win we kind of need that because that's really our strength you know if, if Austin Matthews is not producing a hell of a lot we're finished um not really a lot else to say and it just has not felt like he's even close to taking over a game in the way that he can. You know, there are nights where you see him and he's like whirling around the offensive zone. And even if the puck isn't going in for him, you know that he's dominating play and that it's a possibility at every time. Yeah, he, 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 he had a couple he had a couple of nice shots in, in game one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know what? It's too easy to get clouded, one, by the more recent game that was so frustrating, and two, by the fact that the shots didn't go in. Right. You know, as much as we know better, it can be a little bit easy. I, I will own this. To be biased by whether or not the puck went in. But, it, but last night, I wasn't seeing it. No, and, you know? and even in the first game, like, the there was no sense of, like, sustained brilliance from from mm. Matthews that, that we want to see from him. That, you know, when you're the $11.64 million man, you kind of need to produce or you're expected to produce. And it, it's... And again, like, you, you don't want to get to the point where we're criticizing him for the puck's not going in. We'd like to be more intelligent than that. But, yeah, like, it it seems like he he really needs William Nylander. 
you know? Yeah. Like the, and you know. when that line gets played together, they're they're good. They they always seem to be in the offensive zone. I, it, it's a moot point now. Uh, we can't play Nylander and Kadri together right now because that's really putting all our eggs in one basket. Um, yeah. So it's either Nylander at three C or Marlow at three C. And which yeah. If you, if, uh, <laughs> speaking of that. speaking of people who deserve criticism. Um, yeah, I don't even know what to say at that point. I mean, it's not, man, you know, just seeing the whole thing, I was critical of the decision to break up Nylander and Matthews on the part of, um, Mike Babcock. And then in game one, I was like, well, it kind of worked. And you can say, well, maybe that's the point is that whole value proposition that we always talk about where you have a third line from the Leafs that, you know, does its best to keep you in games. And... Yeah, okay, I guess I could see that. But it's kind of out the window now, and I do find myself really thinking Austin Matthews is not effective on his own. You can say, like, it's very frustrating that he's not as effective as he should be because he's supposed to be the kind of guy who can drive things unassisted. But right now he can't to the same degree that we expect that he needs to. You know? Like, he just is not a complete player in the same sense. I don't trust him at all defensively. And his transition game uh, has some strong moments, but he really benefits from being able to cede some of those duties to Nylander. Again, he's a peerless player in the offensive zone, but when he doesn't get there, suddenly you can find yourself thinking he's not what we need. Um, he's not at the level that we need him to be. So, yeah, I don't know. This is very frustrating. Yeah, and again, like I sh- we should emphasize this. Um, if the orders of game one and two are reversed, we'd be much happier. And we'd be saying, oh, mm. Matthews looked good. He hit the post. You know, Nylander got a goal. Uh, that's good. He's, he's back on forearm, recovered after a brutal mistake. Like, the order mm. of, in which things occur shape us so much because we're silly humans. Yeah. But, yeah, it's hard It's hard not to feel that way at this moment. Um, Matt, like, you, you just want Matthews to take over a game, take over a series to some degree. And that's not always possible. I'd like to see it more than than we have. It, I think we are being probably unfair here because in game one, that line was quite good. I think they actually even dominated their scoring chances and expected goals, and they, like they they played they played well, even though if it looked a little disjointed at times, like they they generated some stuff. Yeah, I mean everyone looked better. In game yeah, one, I, I mean like, without exception. The, the first the first game was really won by the Tavares line beating Bergeron and Muzaitsev uh, assisting that as well, right? Like that- yeah, I, and, you know, was that a mirage? Like, I, it was such an unexpected result that Muzzin and Zaitsev did as well in that first game as they did. And then last game, I think it's fair to say they both had awful nights. You know, I, um, I mean, one, Jake Muzzin was, I don't want to quite say all, entirely at fault. Like, it wasn't only on him, but he had two really gross misplays. On goals so yeah that's pretty gruesome yeah and uh yeah and then Nikita Zaitsev I mean someone posted this but just for a moment of levity there's like an old Simpsons bit about like misplaying a golf game for Lee Carvalho's putting challenge and the game's like recommends it's like I recommend you use a feather touch and Bart Simpson just goes you have selected power drive and I feel like Nikita Zaitsev does that every time with the puck it's like I could make a pass here or I could just rip it down for an icing. <laughs> and he seems to default to that every single time. Um, I really wish he would stop. 
Uh, and if he could, I think I would feel a little better about him all the way around as a player. Like, that's the thing that stands out the most to me about his limitations. So, if Zaitsev and Muzzin can get back a little bit to their form, I think that's kind of an unexpected strength. But Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and like, the the Debrus, or sorry, the, the Chara-McAvoy pairing, which looked terrible in Game 1, looked great in Game mm-hmm. 2. They, they dominated the Leafs. So, it's like, we have two very conflicting games, right? And... It's not obvious to me which way the third one will go. Right? Yeah, and you know, the safe bet is probably that it's going to be closer than either of the first two. Yeah, like, I, I don't think it's obvious that, like, and I said this before, and I guess now we're looking forward to the rest of the series. I don't, was it clear to you what the Bruins did? Did, did it appear like, oh, they've solved the Leafs in, like, some permanent way? Because it didn't, to me, it seemed like the Bruins were faster on pucks. It seems like they were forcing more turnovers, and the Leafs couldn't control anything to save their lives. To me, it looked like the Leafs got jumped. Like, it looked like, for the first period especially, uh, the Bruins were coming out loaded for bear, no pun intended, and the Leafs were kind of taken aback. I don't, I mean, that's not great, because obviously they should have known that something was coming. But for that first period, they really looked like they were just shell-shocked by how much more fight the Bruins had left in them. I don't think the Leafs are going to be quite that surprised going forward. And at least it's certainly dispelled any excuse the Leafs might have had to think this was going to be easy. I don't know that they ever like believe that intellectually, but it did look like emotionally the Bruins were coming in really, really hot and the Leafs were just a bit kind of sleepy early on and they got down very quickly. And that seemed to feel like it set the tone for the game. I know that I'm, you know, reading in a lot of emotional arc here, which is the real temptation with playoffs because we're never going to have enough of a sample size to say things definitively. But just in terms of the engagement level in the first period, if you even if you just want to boil it down to numbers, like the Leafs got out shot attempted more than 3 to 1. You know, I can't believe that that's really what the Leafs are going to do going forward. Right. To get shut down that absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean I mean even the Anaheim Ducks didn't don't get out shot 3 to 1 every single game this year. Like, the worst shots team in the NHL is, like, what, 40%? Yeah. So, like, there's a limit here. And it's obviously not going to be, I hope, anything like that going forward, just because the Leafs aren't as bad as they looked at their absolute worst, which is what the first period was. And just, like, Boston is not as hapless as the first game made them appear. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? So, So, yeah. Tactically, did you see anything different? Like, I know, obviously, the matchup changed, but, like... Um, I think for one thing, the, the Bruins always have a guy back, mm-hmm. like pretty much always. And the exception to that in game one was the Leafs getting in behind guys for breakaways. And that basically stopped happening. And so, you know, the closest that I saw was like a partial break by Zach Hyman, where he kind of ended up turning away anyway. So I do think that the Bruins like really leaned into their identity where we're just going to stifle them a bunch. And as you say, it was a triumph of defense. Like, the offense was there, but it was really just a matter of the Leafs being absolutely baffled as how to how to generate things offensively. And you'd have to think that that can be adjusted a little bit going forward because if they're totally not giving you the stretch pass ever at all, then you need to come back lower. Then you need to adapt. I know that we've had these ongoing Leafs Nation Twitter wars and such about the stretch pass. But the reality is, sometimes it's working well, sometimes it's not. You know, you have to read and react to the game in front of you. And I did see a few times where it looked to me like Jake Gardner, who kind of 
sets the table for the Leafs on some of their breakouts. Like he's standing behind the net. He's seeing the ice up ahead of him and he's looking at where he can go. A lot of the times he didn't like what he was seeing. You know, he would look up the ice and he would kind of hesitate and cycle around and come back and hold on to the puck. But it was like he clearly was not seeing the options that he wants to see before making a stretch pass. That's the impression that I got is that the Bruins were doing a better job of anticipating our breakouts, um, which I'm kind of surprised they didn't do earlier, but it did certainly feel like that. That's what stood out to me anyway. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, I'm, neither of us are really tactics experts, and that's why mm. I think very few people are, and that's why a lot of this gets reduced down to, oh, the Bruins wanted it more, because what plausible difference is there between game one and game two, besides mm-hmm. something like that? Like, the players are the same. Um, the matchups were different, but, I mean, I, I don't think, if you asked, if you gave Bruce Cassidy a truth serum, and, you know, asked him, oh, how, you know, what percentage of shots do you think the Noah Chari line is going to get? against John Tavares. I don't think he'd say 90%. <laughs> and if he did, he probably would need to be, you know, <laughs> checked in for some examinations because that's crazy. Yeah, so it, it, uh, like, it begs the question, okay, well, what actually caused that? And I mean, I think a lot of it really is like game-by-game game randomness and um, I, I guess sometimes just play, uh, one team just plays better. They execute better. They, they take passes cleaner and that can kind of compound and... Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I had better reasons as to why the Bruins dominated Game 1, uh, or Game 2, rather, when it's basically the same set of players. And, yeah, I mean, sorry, go ahead. I guess we can narrativize with, like, as you said, they, the Leafs were jumped from the from the start. Um, the There was, like, a should-have-been interference ca- uh, call within, like, the first 30 seconds against the Bruins that wasn't called, and that kind of set the tone, and mm-hmm. the Bruins kind of manhandled the Leafs, and they didn't know how to respond, and maybe that's true. That That feels a little too convenient for me. Yeah. Because it's not like... This isn't the first time someone's been physical with John Tavares. Yeah, that's the thing. Is you can say... Like, the easy narrative here is the Bruins were getting in hard and fast on the forecheck, and they were throwing hits. So the Leafs were looking over their shoulders. The Leafs were thinking, I gotta get this puck away before I get clobbered. And maybe there's some truth to that. The Bruins were certainly on them quickly in the forecheck, and cutting down on the time that the other team has to make decisions is a really good idea in a hockey game. But at the same time, it's like, these players have been body-checked in the past. As you said, you know, people have been physical with John Tavares. People have been physical with all of these players. You know, is there anyone here, even the young players, the young stars, the big three, this is their third playoff run. Like, they're aware of how the Boston Bruins play in the playoffs. They're aware of all of this stuff. So I keep thinking... As much as that, you know, can be a factor, can make you feel more rushed and hurt your decision-making and stuff like that, it's hard for me to believe that they're just, like, completely um, caught off guard in any kind of larger sense. Like, it feels like they got kind of sucker-punched. Like, they just weren't ready for what happened in the first 10 minutes on an emotional level. But I don't think that they are so flummoxed by the fact that there are going to be four checkers coming at them that they're doomed. It feels like they just forward. got out-executed. Yeah, uh, th- I mean, that's a, another way to put it, right? It's just that the Bruins were completing their passes correctly and the Leafs were sloppy. The Leafs were not consistent. But that feels unsatisfying because, passing. like, you know, we're essentially saying they lost because they played worse. But it's like, well, why did they play worse? And it's like, I, I, mm-hmm. I always struggle finding reasons as to why why did that team play badly, right? Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, the truth is, if we were doing the second intermission report, I could come up with a hundred reasons. Any of them might even sometimes be true. 
You know, like we could make up a lot of stuff. We could say, oh, um, the Leafs were cowed. The Leafs were intimidated. The Leafs got suckered into playing a game that they couldn't play, which by the way, is something that I actually believe. You know, you can put any number of things on it in terms of the Bruins were better prepared. They were inspired. They were, you know, <laughs> this is the thing is that I don't want to discount that kind of analysis, that kind of thinking about it, but it's also very easy to pin whatever explanation you want on this game to blame, frankly, players that you don't necessarily like, which again, I think, you know, Nylander is coming in for a lot of criticism here, some of which is totally valid and some of which is also people don't like him. Um, the Nazem Kadri stuff, I mean, I, I barely even want to acknowledge this, but obviously there's been an outpouring of dislike of him and sort of the general chatter in his play. You know, I, I see, frankly, a lot of fans from other fan bases crowing about his suspension record and basically hoping that it's going to be 10, 15 games because they think of him as, you know, another Tom Wilson. I don't think that's going to happen. But it definitely, there's so much room for emotionality in the narratives to cloud how we analyze a game like this. And especially a game like this that was so lopsided, that played so easily into those narratives of the Leafs being rattled. Um, it's very tempting to put a lot of meaning on this that probably isn't all the way made out just because, coming back around to what you said, the same group of players played a hell of a lot better two nights earlier. And I, I don't think either team, from what I saw, I don't think either team drastically changed up their systems to like an insane degree or anything like that. Like maybe some specifics on the forecheck got changed. Like, I don't know, maybe they led with two people more instead, or one person more. I, I don't know. That's not something I'm really much of an expert on. But I, I think by and large, it's, it's not as if the Bruins had a magic key to unlock the Leafs. And I, I think... I think maybe they were more conservative and like and making sure that no one leaked out behind them, and like to really yeah. rob the Leafs of those chances. Um, and I also think the Leafs were probably less disciplined at having easy outlets. I, I was impressed mm -hmm. with, you know, even though they did, they did the stretch pass a fair bit in game one, they also um, had people supporting back from what I saw, and they they had quite a few kind of easy outlets where they could threaten with their speed through. Um, a guy flying through the thread of the stretch path and then open up room underneath. And maybe the Bruins did a better job kind of clogging that up. Um, but yeah, like it, it just remains to be seen. Like I think this is still a close series. It's still anyone's series. I would think that we're favorites in it if we had Kadri without him, probably slight underdogs. Yeah, but either way, it's like anyone who's saying that this is a done deal, I don't know what to tell you. I don't really think that that's a reasonable appraisal of what's been going on. You, you know, you can say, look, they played awful. They played a terrible game last night. That's entirely true top to bottom for everyone except Frederick Anderson pretty well. You know, there are a few people who redeem themselves a little bit in the late going. But that's not really the entire totality of this team. You know, you have to take all the evidence ahead of you. And even if you're just looking at this series, it's they played a really good game followed by a really bad game. One other thing, just while we're trying to narrativize a little bit, um, Mike Babcock is really aggressive in pursuing line matchups. I've gone back and forth in my own mind as to how worthwhile some of that is. Uh, to start last game, I was kind of giving him a lot of credence on that point because the Tavares line was so successful against the Bergeron line, who longtime listeners will know terrifies both of us. I 
thought the Leafs were chasing the matchups really, really hard in the early going, and you were seeing a lot of partial shifts, guys hopping on and going off, lots of quick changes. I don't know if that has a slight compounding effect on feeling kind of discombobulated in the early going, because that's when the Leafs looked the most lost to me, is really that first... First five minutes. Actually, minutes. If, if you look at the kind of shot chart, Boston generated an absolute ton in the first five minutes and got mm-hmm. a goal out of it. And then the rest of the period was less so. Like, they had a, fl- uh, a couple more flurries, but it was just uneventful, which is which suits them just fine, right? They, if they can get yeah. ahead and then choke the game, that's that suits them perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, just looking at the uh, the game flow chart at 5-on-5, five five, uh, they were up something like, to judge by this chart, about plus 12 in shot attempts within about, yeah, six or seven minutes. Like, quite early. And so... It really felt like the game got away from the Leafs really, really fast. And if the first goal doesn't go in, if, you know, if the second goal doesn't go in, you can say, well, the Leafs deserve to be scored on probably, given the run of play. Mm -hmm. But if the Leafs kind of hang on for the first 10 minutes and just take the Bruins' best punch, maybe the rest of the game plays out a little differently. Uh, It's really tempting for me to say if, you know, the refs do their goddamn jobs, maybe the game plays out differently. But I don't think that that's entirely fair. I think it is fair to say that the Leafs got kind of jumped. Like, I think that they really looked like they were caught off guard by the Bruins in a way that is frustrating to see, but is also, like, really noticeable early in the game. Like, they just weren't as abjectly awful after that. Because the truth is, if they were as bad as they were in the first eight minutes on a consistent basis, they'd be the worst team in the NHL. Yeah, yeah. You know? And, like, it was... so. I mean... What I remember the first few minutes, it was just <clears throat> Boston kept separating us from pucks in, in our own zone. We just couldn't – it's like the puck just kept bouncing over our stick, and or there there was someone there to mm-hmm. stick check uh, a player before they made a pass, and passes were wayward, right? Just like um, yeah. I remember Hainsey made uh, like a, a, a pass in his own zone to uh, someone, and he was like under some pressure, but it wasn't like an absurd amount. And it was just, it was just misplaced by a few feet, and that happens from time to time, but Boston capitalized on it, and that – created a couple of good chances and it's yeah i mean you gotta hope the players execute better and that whatever tactical adjustment boston made if they didn't make any at all if it wasn't just execution um that the leafs can either match or you know get around somehow so it, it it's it never series are never as amazing and as inevitable as they feel when you're winning and they're never as hopeless as they feel when you're losing yeah that's absolutely true. And again, if you want to look for uh, another little silver lining there, Frederick Anderson was outstanding last night. And I think that that's sometimes easier to say on nights where he's behind a team that was pretty bad for long stretches of it because you really notice how much work he's getting. But I honestly can't fault, fault him at all on any of the goals against. And he was like consistently holding the team in it long after they probably did not deserve to be in it. Yeah, absolutely. Like it was, it, it was yeah. notable. Um, and I think expected goals might even underrate how dominant Boston was because so many chances of theirs were created off defensive zone turnovers and like yeah. the team in semi-transition and really open looks. Yeah, it didn't feel like they were kind of clobbering us on just terms of like, you know, set plays when they've, you know, set, set up possession per se. It's more like they made a scramble. You know, that they really seemed to generate breakdowns. They, they created scrambles, and then they didn't let the Leafs counterpunch. Yeah. Um, it, you know, was all really 
effectively done. Like you have to say, if you're the Boston Bruins, you're euphoric over how you executed that game. You're not happy you lost Tory Krug, but you're thinking we did everything we want to do. We let uh, them basically beat themselves in some ways while we were outdoing them. You know, in terms of the Kadri thing, where he got suckered into doing something really stupid and taking himself out of the game. Um, I think, you know, they're extremely happy about how they played and executed that game. But at the same time, you know, uh, there was a period of a day where suddenly everyone was saying, could the Leafs sweep? And it's like, well, probably not. Right, and I remember hearing but... Craig Button on the radio um, saying like, oh, what's Boston going to do? They're, they're, they're too slow. And it's like, let's not overreact here. Yeah, it's one game. And, you know, in the regular season, you would be considered batshit for reacting this way to one game. And obviously the playoffs are different. The playoffs matter more because even if you can say it's only one game, it's one game closer to the brink for you. And it doesn't take that many before you're eliminated. But at the same time, it's like we have to keep some awareness in the back of our heads that anything can happen on any given night. It just It's a fact of a game with a lot of variance in it, which hockey is. And two um, teams that appear to be yeah. closely matched. Yeah, and again, I just... Maybe the, the biggest takeaway to me is that it's always been crazy to say one team has the other solved at this point. Again, you know, we'll look really stupid if the Boston Bruins repeat that three more times in a row. But I really do not think that this is in any sense a mismatch, even without Kadri. Um... I think the Leafs can do more. I still believe in William Nylander. God help me. I think they're going to put that on my tombstone. But I think that he can center a third line and hopefully be pretty effective if he doesn't get, you know, absolutely swarmed. Well, also if he doesn't um, get Marlowe and Brown. Oh, God. And yeah, and that's the thing, right? I'll say this for Connor Brown. He's looked good in the playoffs, he, yeah. He's... Yeah, you know, he, he gritted it out, you know, and he's not uh, certainly... A fearful guy. I mean, I think, you know, fear and intimidation are always a bit overstated in the modern NHL. But he played his game, and he grinded it out. But I'm just thinking, this guy does not bring offense to the table. No. He never really and, has. And, and, never and as a third line, like, I, I'm honestly not sure what Babcock is going to do. Or I don't think anything he's going to do is something I, I'm going to like. He doesn't have a lot of good options right no. now. Because, in my opinion, the best option was... Nylander with Matthews, but you can say, oh, well, Nylander with Kadri was working for a bit. Okay, but either way, it's done. You know, like, we've lost Kadri for, I'm going to guess, you know, three, four games, and that's just not an option that we have anymore. So we're not going to have uh, an especially strong third line compared to what we could have. It might still be okay. That's what we have to hope for. Yeah, but, I mean, but. the, the Marlowe-Nylander-Brown line was one of the few Nylander lines this year that just did not work. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Patrick Marlowe is washed. Like, I don't know what to say here. Like, I, I'm kind of torn between, like, could you try him at 3C to free up Nylander for Matthews? But then I'm like, but he's done. Like, he doesn't look to me like he has a lot left in the tank anymore. No, and, I mean, maybe maybe you can try and say, okay, you know what, we're going to make this a two-line game. You know, we're, we're going to go with Tavares Marner, Matthews Nylander. Everyone else, don't get scored on. Yeah. Y you know, honestly, at that point, you know, it's just sort of like, Fuck it. This is what we got. We got to play the hands we're dealt. We still have some above average scorers. Let's do our best with it. And that might be what it is. That might be as good an answer as, as any at this point. Um, if Austin Matthews can ever kind of flip the switch and take over a game, and I have, you know, we've all seen him do that, 
repeatedly, sometimes against some pretty tough opponents. If he can do that, this series is going to feel really different really quickly. Right, and even if... Like, the thing with Matthews, and it's similar to, to Patrick Nine because they're both elite shooters, that they just need... Mm. They just need they don't even need to have a consistently good game. They need to have one good shift. Yeah. And then that, that could change. You know, game. yeah, you know, get in there and just rifle one of those shots and suddenly, boom, uh, it's a huge swing. Um, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, trying to work through some of my feelings as we've been doing for the last 45 to 50 minutes. But I do find myself thinking, one... That was an awful, frustrating game. Two, I think we're legitimately pissed off at the referees. Three, with that said, the referees did not make Nazem Kadri go out and be deliberately stupid, even if they should have controlled the game better. Yeah, and um, the refs were not the reason we lost. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can say that was badly handled. I think we agree it was badly handled. Absolutely. You can also say, look, the Leafs need to play better. They just do. And... All of that said, nothing about this says foregone conclusion to me. Nothing about this says hopeless. A lot of things about this say infuriating, and I think I'm going to loathe the entire city of Boston pretty soon. <laughs> it's amazing how much hate is conjured up in the playoffs. Uh, I didn't realize how much I was going to dislike Jake DeBrusco a week ago. I just didn't feel that emotionally, mm. but I sure do now. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, like all of that said, this is a competitive series, and the Leafs, weird as it is, have home ice advantage in a best of five. Yeah. So I think speak. that's the, the macro thing to take away from here. Like, the Leafs yeah. are in a better situation now than they were four days ago. Yeah, I think that that's probably true. Well, okay, I mean, sorry, modulo the, modulo the Kadri suspension. Yeah, so that's kind of a, a trade-off here. But, like, again, nothing about this is, like, preclusive of a Leafs win. Um, it's a crazy league, crazy thing is going to happen. Um, and, you know, if you told us Bring Thomas Bacanich back. Yeah, uh, and you know, once you do that, the series is basically won. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, but like, if you told us we were going to get a split out of Boston, and you didn't tell us some of the other details, we probably would have taken that. Mm. You know, so that's something. That, that's what made the Kadri uh, thing so infuriating. Actually, is that like, yeah, look, it's like this game sucks. It's unpleasant. It was unpleasant to watch. I can't imagine how unpleasant it was to play in. Mm -hmm. But think of the big picture, man. Yeah, just uh, it is. It, it is really frustrating that he made that choice that he did. As much as I like him, as much as I understand where he was coming from, it's just don't hurt your team like that, man. Just don't do it. And I, like, I've defended him a lot throughout his career because I think that he has a lot to offer that wasn't always credited. And I do give Mike Babcock a lot of credit for seeing Nazem Kadri's potential and helping him become the player he's been. But this has always been a flaw and the flaw has sort of blown up on us in a pretty glaring way. So that, yeah, it just sucks. This is, you know, is really frustrating. And as much as I'm probably going to be upset with the length of the suspension, because I think it's going to be longer than I think it should be, I can't really argue that he doesn't deserve something. Yeah, so, I mean, let's you just know? quickly touch on that before <laughs> we, we head out. Um, in a vacuum, yeah. I'd almost be fine with any length suspension from from the league, because yeah. like that was an absolutely terrible play that deserves to be suspended. And I'm generally of the opinion yeah. that NHL suspension should be much longer than they typically are. Mm -hmm. It is weird that Nikita Kucherov got one game and Kadri's yeah. going to get five. And I get that there's a repeat offender aspect to it. Um, but mm -hmm. it, I can see why Leaf fans would feel aggrieved by that because, you know, uh, there's a lot of terrible shit that goes on in playoff games that does not get suspended as harshly. And Kadri's absolutely does deserve to be suspended. And, 
no matter what the suspension is, I'm not going to complain because, you know, he took it out of his hands when making that stupid play. Mm-hmm. But I, I do understand the frustration and it, it, it does. It sucks. It really sucks. Yeah, it, 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 it was a frustrating game to watch. You know, you talk about that old time hockey and people talk about the heated rivalries and we're sure as hell in one now. But it comes from, among other things, incidents like this. Incidents where you think, okay, our guy did a bad thing. But their guys did a bad thing, too. They've been running our players all night. They've been interfering with them. They've been throwing dirty knees and stuff like that. And you're thinking, you know, there's not as much give and take there. And, you know, it's very hard to keep perspective on it when you're in the heat of the series. You know, you're kind of mad all the time. But it is It's frustrating seeing the game kind of disintegrate into this. And I do hold the refs responsible, as we were saying kind of at the top, for the poor game management. Like, call a game. Of hockey, you know, it. You should not be coming into this with the objective of I'm going to e- give each team about two power plays, give or take. You know, you shouldn't have an idea that a, a good game is a game that is called lightly, because sometimes it's not played lightly. This was an ugly game, and it should have been called as such. And again, that doesn't excuse Kadri, but it means that part of the stupid climate in which he acted was a failure of game management. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right, was there anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, I think I just kind of emptied my whole <laughs> angry emotions into this podcast. So there we go. All right, let's get out of here. Um, thank you all for listening. Yeah. You can catch all of our stuff at pencilpenpuppets.com and also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFuleman. We'll see you next week.